Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. And now we welcome back in team expert for Bama Online, Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, Alabama 17, South Florida 3. Um, I'm fairly certain that we were all on our staff predictions. We were all pretty close to that range. We all had them. Uh, I think we were all on that, you know, uh, low double-digit victory for Alabama is what we were all expecting. So no shock to any of us, right? Um, I, I got to be honest. I'm the just three was on the ballpark. I, I say what? The three was in the ballpark. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was the 17 that was the problem. And especially – now, when when we said in the offseason that Alabama was wanting to get back to uh, the early Saban years as far as the offensive identity or, or something close to that, we weren't talking about scores. We were talking about, <laughs> like, one run the football. We thought it would be a little bit more modernized and you'd see more scoring, but just an emphasis on the run game. Um, this feels very uh, – this feels like one of those classic uh, Alabama-LSU type of scores that you would see where everybody walks away saying, Alabama won by 14 points. You feel pretty good about it, but against South Florida – who was one of the worst teams in college football last year. I do think that they're heading in the right direction. I think they got some good players. I talked about last week on the players to watch um, piece that I did. I included, um, you know, Caden Proctor. And I talked about, you know, it was a a great opportunity for him to bounce back, uh, especially because I felt like that South Florida had some pass rush packages and, and, and a good stable of edge players that could present more challenges than you would expect. Uh, But at the same time, even I wasn't expecting the amount 
of challenge that they showed, not just him, but Alabama's entire offensive line, even though I think a lot of it's him. And I guess we'll just go ahead and get into that. Uh, I was going to ask your initial reaction, but I, I got a feeling that we kind of know what the main points that we're going to need to hit on. So instead of kind of just going over it more generally, let's go ahead and dive in. Let's start with the offensive line. Everybody wants to start with the quarterbacks, but I, I feel offensive line is equally as important, maybe more important in some ways. Uh, this offensive line has allowed, I think, 10 sacks. I, I say offensive line. This Alabama offense has allowed 10 sacks through three games. Last year, the Alabama offense allowed. Doesn't mean that they, you know, if, if on the official stat sheet, but as far as the the offense, whether it be running backs, whether it be offensive linemen, whatever, it only allowed five sacks, according to Pro Football Focus. So in three games, they've doubled the amount of sacks given up. And I want to talk about where those sacks are coming from. Four of them have mm -hmm. come from Caden Proctor. Uh, four of them have come from the running backs. Uh, so that's eight of the ten. I mean, it's a major problem. Pass protection for for your running backs, and obviously you got a major problem there at left tackle. What were your thoughts on Proctor? What were your thoughts on the offensive line as, be, as far as being able to keep the quarterback protected? And what's your thoughts on the group as a whole? Yeah, you know, even before this game, I'm not saying I saw this coming. Nobody saw this coming. I, I thought Alabama would win. I think my score is 48 to 10. That's that's what I thought would happen. Uh, nobody saw that that score coming. So I'm not saying that uh, what I said before the game was in any way should have prepared anyone for for uh, for only scoring 17 points. But what I did say is too much of the attention was was going to the quarterbacks and who was going to start a quarterback when in fact Alabama had other problems that were bigger that need to be addressed because it doesn't matter if Tyler Buckner, Ty Simpson, or Jalen Milrow is the quarterback. Alabama had to run the ball better and protect the passer better than they had been through the first two games. And, and now we saw it sort of bottom out, particularly as it relates to pass protection this past weekend. And, and, and that's something that Alabama needed to be to address. And, and it somehow got worse uh, as to why it got worse against this opponent. I mean, you know, we, we, you know, who knows? I mean, you know, sports, right? I mean, who knows? <laughs> but you know, it's it, it's it's an opponent you know you're you're going to beat. Uh, you, Alabama didn't need their A game to win this game. Uh, it's on the road against South Florida. It's kind of a come down. No one was surprised at when the Texas and Wyoming game was ten ten after three quarters. Who was surprised? Because people say. Well, of course, Texas is going to struggle in the next game. They're not going to get up for the next game. Well, that can also apply to losers of huge games, too. How is Alabama going to get up for South Florida in the same way they got up for Texas, a, a team that you're favored to beat by 40? You're not even starting your normal starting quarterback. That may have been a message that, that Coach sent that was taken wrong by the team maybe a little bit when – when, as far as the team's concerned, Milrow's been the number one quarterback since the spring. So, you know, maybe subconsciously the team's like, gosh, we're not even starting our normal guy and and we're not playing Texas this week and we're favored by 38. And, you know, maybe maybe that's it. Who knows? But but I, I'm more into the X's and O's like you are, Clint, and, and, and that starts with the offensive line because that's where the struggles were in the game and they had struggled there prior to. Uh, I like how you point out, hey, there's 10 sacks and where are they coming from? Uh, as usual, there is an overreaction. The overreaction is all five guys are playing terrible. Uh, that's probably not true. Uh, and, and I, you know, to some extent, I addressed that in the rewatch thread on the board, uh, and I'll do so again this week. Uh, 
the unit as a whole is not performing well, but that doesn't mean that each individual on the unit is playing poorly. But Caden Proctor is. I mean, that's just a fact. Like you said, four sacks through three games, particularly against this level of competition, uh, it, it's it's not good. Now, he's too heavy, in my opinion. Now, you know, the next offensive line I coach will be my first, but I think he's too heavy. And, and the reason I say that and my evidence for it is show me all the 365-pound left tackles in the NFL. Show me uh, that, that they're all that size. And I don't think they are. I, I think they're more like 320, and some of them might be 330, but I don't think there's a lot of 365-pound left tackles in the NFL, and it's that for a reason. Uh, now, Caden can probably play a little heavier than some people because he carries it well, but the Caden Proctor we're seeing, Clint, I'm just being honest when I say the Caden Proctor we're seeing is not good enough to be a starting left tackle in the SEC at an elite program. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Yeah. I mean, and there's going to be some, uh, there's going to be some pretty harsh criticisms in, in this uh, video or, or podcast or whatever you want to call it, episode, show, whatever. And that's a, in some ways we got the green light from Nick Saban last week. You play poorly. You should expect to be criticized. So, Hey, let's go all in. I mean, that's not really the, the, the point. It's just we've never right. seen anything like what we saw on Saturday out of an Alabama Nick Saban coach team since he arrived in 2007. And that includes even as ugly as everything looked to get, uh, against Louisiana Monroe back in 2007. Nothing uh, looked as far as the effort and, and just the collective. I mean, I will say, and we'll get to the defense, it played you know really well for the most part. I uh, got to keep those scrambles in check, got to wrap up and make tackles better. Um, but, you know, I think for the most part, fans and, and anybody that was watching feel pretty good about the, that side of the football. But this, the dysfunction on offense is unlike anything I've ever seen. And and Caden Proctor plays a role in that right now um, because he is the liability. Well, what we talked about with this group that made you feel pretty good about it last year, you really saw a lot of the leakage issues from 2021 get cleaned up where you couldn't look at Alabama's offensive line and point out one particular guy and say, this is the guy we're going to attack. This is the guy we're going to have success against consistently. Right now you're looking at Caden Proctor and you're saying, this is a guy that, I mean, we're going to be able to win consistently, apply pressure on a significant portion of the snaps just by attacking him. And you don't even have to do anything over the top to win against him right now. It's not like, I mean, granted, they are sending some things his, his way in South Florida, they do have some pretty exotic blitz packages and, and just the way that they attack you. But here's the thing. You, you hear that with MTSU, and that's true. You play a good Texas front, and they have a lot of success. And then you play a good USF front, and I say good, not Texas good by any means. Not, not even in the same realm, but just it's more – it's not MTSU, but it's, it's relatively close in the way that it's going to sell some things out and it's going to present some opportunities to your offense. And I think against MTSU in the second half, you saw Alabama start to exploit or take advantage of those opportunities that they were being given against USF. For one reason or another, they weren't. And that changed kind of everything. But uh, Proctor, I mean, at this point, Jimmy, and this is, I'm not really one. Here's, we said early on, Caleb Downs would have some freshman struggles early in the season. He's had a couple of them. He's also played extremely well, but he's done exactly what you expected. 
We said going into the season, the offensive line, it, you got a lot of new faces playing new positions. You got a true freshman left tackle. There's going to be some growing pains early in the year. This is a unit that's going to get better over the course of the season. No one imagined what we have seen. I did not know that this was going to be the starting point. Uh, and I think that that kind of, that changes everything. And I really don't know how you get the information that you do coming from the Alabama camp that they feel really good about their offensive line when there's this many issues. And I say this many, really it's, it's one major issue, but the run game, they're having a big problem creating any sort of consistent push. So as far as pass protection, uh, that's a problem. I think teams being able to sell out for the run a little bit more takes some risk because Alabama doesn't have a consistent quarterback enough that they feel like, you know, can take advantage of it. Um, but Jimmy, this, this group as a whole, um, I haven't really been a huge advocate for making changes necessarily. Uh, and I mean, positional changes, but do you think it's possible that we see some guys get moved around? Cause at this point, if Proctor's going to remain in the lineup, you've got to protect him from that speed because now we're getting into an SEC schedule and, you know, that's going to change everything as far as the issues that a guy like Proctor can have at the same time. I mean, he hadn't really played guard. I, I don't, I didn't hear about him playing hardly any, if at all inside in spring and fall camp, you know, summer. So is it possible that they would make a move to try to protect him? Or do you think it's more realistic that they'll replace him? I think replacing would be more likely than moving myself. I mean, in terms of like, okay, if Caden Proctor's not the left tackle, is it going to be J.C. Latham or Elijah Pritchett? Uh, my answer would be probably Pritchett. Uh, he's a year older, uh, not quite as heavy. Um, you know, if you move Latham, and they might do that. I'm, I'm not saying they won't. I, I, I'm not saying that's not going to happen. It, it might happen. It could very well happen. Latham is a, a veteran. Uh, he's played guard. Uh, now he's playing right tackle. He's probably seen enough to where he could possibly handle that transition. But my thing is, if you move Latham, now you're moving multi- – I mean, is, does that mean McVay starts at right tackle? So now we still have a freshman tackle. Are we moving Pritchett to that side? Booker. Is Proctor switching sides? Is Booker kicking out? And then who's going to start at guard? Um, I, 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 I just see moving guys as kind of creating more problems than you already had. Uh, I would think they would try Pritchett first. Uh Proctor could also lose some weight quickly. I mean, I know, I know that sounds crazy, but it does happen at an Alabama where they do the level of cardio they do and the level of nutrition uh, expertise they have. I mean, Proctor could lose some weight quickly. That would help. So I don't know what they're going to do. I just know that left tackle is a problem. And, and, and even if you make the change to Pritchett or if you switch Latham, it's still going to be a problem to some degree. Uh, the unit as a whole is not playing great. I'll give one example. Um, I think the first two games, for whatever reason, uh, fans in particular, not so much the coaches to my knowledge, but the fans in particular don't don't think a whole lot of Darren Dalcourt of our, of our board at, uh, at, at BOL is, is any indication. They don't think much of him. They've been wanting to see T.J. Ferguson. Okay, so now T.J. Ferguson plays an entire 60-minute game and call me crazy. And, and again, I haven't done the rewatch just yet. I'm going to start today, but uh, I don't think Ferguson played at a level that suggests he should be replacing anybody on the offensive line this weekend. I, I don't believe so. 
Uh, it was the offensive line's worst performance of the year, and the only new guy was Ferguson. Uh, that doesn't tell me that we should replace the fifth-year senior that, that started games for three years for that guy, but I could be wrong because I, I haven't graded the, the, the tape yet, uh, and, and I don't grade it like with the expertise or the equipment that the coaches have. So uh, we'll see what they do, Clint. But I don't anticipate changes. I, I don't. I, I think if there is one, it might be Pritchett for Proctor. Uh, Booker will be back. I think that will help. Booker may be the best offensive lineman on the team. He may be. He's certainly arguably the most gifted. Uh, Booker being back, maybe Pritchett at left tackle. I just think this group just has to play better, has to be more assignment sound, and just has to be more dominant because there was a slight bright spot Saturday, Clint, and that was the running backs were more productive. That that was by far the most productive days for Roy Dell and Jace. Uh, it, so it's what you'd expect against South Florida, but it needed to be even better than that. And that's the thing about the run game so far, Clint. To me, it's like, uh, okay, but it needs to be better than this. I would still say it needs to be better based on what we saw Saturday. Uh, and, and it was sort of a bright spot. That should tell us how bad the offensive line is playing, Clint, that the bright spot was Roy Dell and Jace combining for 200 yards against South Florida, a game I personally think they should get 300 yards. Well, the problem that I have with the, the run game is that it, it's not the tone setter for the game. Like, you didn't see them come out and maul people. You know, the running backs are running hard from the get-go. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that, and they've been running hard all season. You can say what you want to about McClellan and Williams. You might think Miller and and, and Justice Haynes are, are the more, two more talented backs. I mean, I would personally probably agree with you, but you can't question the effort of the two veterans. The big problem with them is pass protection, and it is a major issue. When you're trying to help out your left tackle and you throw a running back to his side to try to help out and – they're struggling to keep guys protected as well. I mean, it's a losing combination. I mean, you're going to do try different things. You're going to use tight ends. The point is, is that uh, this offensive line, the reason they got this big, in my opinion, I don't even know if this big was by design or if it's like they start gaining weight and then they just kept going, kind of like Otis losing weight. All right. I mean, you know, you have him get on a diet plan. His body starts changing metabolism. And then it just keeps going. And you're like, hey, we kind of wanted you to stop metabolism around 330. Let's kind of keep it in that range. And that's the thing you know, you're 308 and you're changing positions, essentially. I mean, it's it's a different conversation for a different day. Uh, but the point is, is that the offensive line at this point is too big. But it was designed to get bigger so you could manhandle and move guys in the run game and you can play off of that. And from the very first snap, I mean, I say very first snap, Alabama had some success early against Texas. I thought they had a little, I mean, very early against USF, but they started off pretty decently running the football there. But it's not this consistent move, guys, grind out, you know, get your defense plenty of rest, uh, really establish yourselves, make them commit numbers to the box, which, you know, they're doing some different things to make your, your rushing attack difficult because your quarterback it hadn't been settled up to this point and so you know that plays into it to a degree and if you got it's like a you know which came first the chicken or the egg the bottom line is they're both playing into each other uh you know uh proctor i really was hoping that he had a much better performance this past week because he wouldn't be tipping you know run pass i thought just getting that cleaned up and not doing that you should be more effective because the 
the uh, opposing defender is not going to know pre-snap what it is that you're doing, whether you're running the football or, or pass blocking. But we didn't see much improvement in the level of competition. While I think USF is underrated as far as the caliber of player that you know they were going against, it's not Texas or even close to Texas. And so that's where you really start to have some concerns because you're not able to establish the run, mostly because there's not a respect for the quarterback's ability, regardless of who it is, to throw the football consistently. And then, you know, at the same time, um, the, 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 run, the run game has to aid the quarterback. You have to figure out a way to get that done. So what do you really do? It's like a, it's a, it's a rough problem to have, but it, there are so many spots with this Alabama team, and I would say mostly offense, but then you can talk about coaching staff or whatever. Uh, the hype train, it was to me, it was still warranted. Like when you look at the information that everybody had going into the year, there was no reason to believe that this offensive line wasn't going to destroy people. They were big. They were strong. They were former five-star players. You believe in the offensive line coach. You believe in the new offensive coordinator, even though there were some question marks coming over from Notre Dame, never had this you know level of talent that he was going to have at receiver. And, and you thought he was going to have a run game he can re- uh, rely on. And you thought he was going to have a stable of tight ends, plenty of 12 personnel, plenty of different you know, uh, skill sets that you can rely on and do different things with. You thought they, they got five former top 100 players at quarterback. Like, I mean, how many, most of the time in the NIL era, in the transfer portal world, I guess is the better way to put it. Um, you're going to have three scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. Alabama has five. Show me another program, major college football program that's got five scholarship quarterbacks. And there, it's not like there's a, you know, a bunch of three stars and then you get that one guy, you know, really talented guy that's not panning out. It's like all these guys were highly recruited, highly rated, and none of them are developing. And, and I say none of them. I'm saying the guys that are getting the opportunities, even though we'll, and we'll get to that in a second. Once again, it's going to be a really long podcast, but you know, it's just, it, it's crazy because the hype train was out of control. I will say I certainly contributed to that and I'm fully to, willing to admit that I was wrong on a lot of stuff. I have no problem admitting that. But looking back, I always try to go back and say, okay, what, you know, where did you go wrong in what you were predicting? Whether that be on a week to week basis, whether that be on a season outlook. And based off the information that I had, that we had, I, I, I don't know that if the same thing were to happen, I might, I might be more reluctant next year, knowing what I know now. But if you wouldn't have had this example to look at, I mean, I, I feel like I would have made the same conclusion based off the information we had. It's, it's just wild how it's all playing out, Jimmy. Well, yeah, I certainly uh, played up it. I said uh, adamantly before the season started, I thought that the offensive line would end up being a Joe Moore award contender. I said that. And uh, uh, to this point, I look as the, the, like the mayor of Wrongville when, when it comes to that. And I, We're I, running I, it together, I, brother. I own, I own, I own that. I guess where I went wrong is a a couple of things. You know, there are two things that make a great college football player, in my opinion, two things, uh, talent and experience. Uh, Guys that have both uh, tend to do really well in the sport. Guys that have one can get away with it. Guys that have neither, you have a big problem. Uh, I think J.C. Latham is is the most – talented and experienced guy. I think Booker is certainly talented, but frankly doesn't have a lot of experience. Frankly doesn't. He he only started one game a year ago. Yeah, he played 
uh, starting about what game four, game five last year, he was a rotational player with the first team and then started against Kansas state due to injury or, uh, or transfer or something. Uh, but he, he's not super experienced. Proctor seemingly has a ton of talent, but zero experience. And of course, Dalcourt and McLaughlin, I think it's fair to say they have less talent than the other three, uh, but they do have the experience though Dalcourt's experience was at center and not at guard. I think if I made a mistake in overhyping the line, it was probably not taking enough into account that to be truly good up front, you need both of those things and all of the players or most of the players. And I think in maybe a couple of them, there's a lot of experience, but maybe not as much high-end talent. And in a couple of them, there's talent, you know, like Proctor and Booker, but not a lot of experience. And there are offensive lines in this country, Clint, that are playing really well. And if they are, they probably have a few guys who are both talented kids and who have uh, lots of or, or, or significant game experience. So if, if I went wrong, it was there. Uh, that said, that said, sometimes, and again, this is why the, the, the rewatches and, and, and watching the tape is so important. Sometimes you're not running the ball well, and it's not 100% on the offensive line. Absolutely. Sometimes that's true. We don't take into account enough other things, like, for instance, uh, a tight end's out there to block, too, and Alabama's using a lot of 12 personnel. So two of the guys blocking in the run game are tight ends. We ain't even talk about that. Secondly, there is the back. He's got to hit the right hole, and the play has to be timed correctly, which, by the way, for Alabama – hasn't always been the case because for whatever reason, we're struggling getting the snap. Uh, two weeks ago, it was worm burners. This week, it was fastballs. It was crazy that two weeks in a row, the snaps were an issue. That Sorry. affects the timing of everything is off once the snap is bad. Um, and this is on the quarterback, Clint. Sometimes, as you know really well, everybody's played football knows this, Sometimes football can be simple. It looks super complicated, and sometimes it is complicated, but sometimes it's simple. Sometimes when there's six offensive linemen, five offensive linemen and a tight end blocking, that's six, and you run the ball, and the other team has seven in the box, someone's unblocked. Someone's unblocked. And it's up to the back to make that guy miss or run over him. It's just unrealistic to expect the offensive line hey, I need you to block this guy and destroy him, and then I I need you to go get someone else, too. Um, I'm just saying that sometimes you have a numbers issue that there's more players in the box to block than you got, and that free guy makes the tackle. And it's hard to pin that on the offensive line and say they're not doing their job. So I think, Clint, what Alabama has in the run game is a multiple – pronged problem they're not dominant enough in the offensive line problem number one not dominant enough up front number two we are playing against some stacked boxes why because the quarterbacks aren't a a threat in the in the intermediate to deep range so teams are very comfortable playing up and our quarterbacks don't have a lot of experience in terms of getting us out of one play and into another that can be happening too Bryce had a ton of responsibility at quarterback last year under Bill O'Brien and Nick Saban. Bryce was given a ton of rope. Hey, if you don't like the play call and the way the defense is lined up, you change it. And they 100% trusted him. It would be insane 
to trust Milrow, Simpson, or Buckner in that way, considering how new everything is. They probably and understandably have less rope when it comes to that. So I think when you add it all up, and let's be honest, Jason Roydell are good players running hard. I agree with you, Clint. I think any any shots taken at those two are misguided. But I'm also the first to tell you they're not Najee Harris. They're not Josh Jacobs. They're not going to be first-round picks. They, they will not be taken in the first round of the draft. They're not that level of player. They're good. You can win with this. But they're not truly elite like we've seen at Alabama in the past. I think when you add all that up, offensive line issues, maybe tight ends not getting blocked, unblocked guys up front because we're in the wrong play and we're outnumbered, and backs who aren't Josh Jacobs. Uh, I think you add it all up, and it hasn't been good enough. But but I still just want one thing to throw in. It's not terrible. There's a difference between not good enough and terrible. And our overreaction society, they call that terrible. Uh, they did rush for 200 yards. Just Jason Roydell this weekend. Just the two of them rushed for 200 yards. That's not terrible. But is it good enough? It's not. And here comes the SEC games. Well, yeah. Um, I think sometimes it's like it's how things look while you're doing it. You know, the result is great. Um, numbers can. Okay. For example, Dallas Turner, he's on pace for double digit sacks this year because he had two and a half against USF. You know, so anybody that's looking, it's like, man. If I wanted to send out a tweet right now and say Dallas Turner is having an amazing season, he's expected to break, he's projected to break double-digit sacks. Wow, that's great. He was nowhere to be found from a pass rushing standpoint in the first two weeks against the the by far the two best opponents that Alabama's played, especially Texas. So the numbers can sometimes be deceiving, uh, which we've talked about a thousand times on this show. Absolutely. And I think that you're right, uh, you know, on, on a lot of what you said as far as the run game, as far as, you know, you, you can't take away from the good. There was some good, especially defensively. Um, but the problem is, is how it looked. It, it looks dysfunctional. It looks the number one thing that I missed on as far as the offensive line is concerned. And really, this could maybe be, you know, put in a couple of other, you know, with another a couple of other positions as well. But the number one thing that I've missed on up to this point is the mentality because this is, and granted, uh, Eric Wolford is starting to recruit different guys. I thought the guys that he brought in, and I do think that some of those younger guys, they might not be ready. They might not have the natural talent and ability that Caden Proctor does. And maybe Proctor has some of that, but he's not, he's not playing confident right now. That could be a major issue. The talent is still evident, and I'm not saying that anybody should give up with him. I think they should help him, whether they leave him at tackle, whether they move him inside the guard. Whether it's, it's hey, we love you long-term. You're going to be a hell of a player, but you're not ready. And so we got to get you out of here, uh, get, you know, continue to work on some things. Maybe you help out later in the year. Maybe you help out next year. We're, no matter what happens, what, what route they choose to take, the coaching staff, you know, you got to trust their ability to do the right thing and do right by him. And hopefully he has the mentality that regardless of what that ends up being, um, you know, he embraces it and, and runs with it and understands that this is them trying to help him. But the number one thing I missed on was the mentality of the offensive line because that, that's been such an emphasis. And maybe this will continue. You'll, you'll continue to see dogs get added to the group, guys that are just nasty and mean and all these things. I'm not saying that guys are soft or anything like that. I mean, I still, a, a Tyler Booker being out affects things. 
He's one. I still think he's going to be end up being one of the best offensive linemen in the entire country. And so you pull that off of any, go pull that uh, tackle off of Penn State's, you know, uh, starting five and right. see how they look. You know, the, it it yeah. will affect things certainly. So you know, you got to acknowledge all these things, but it's it's the you know, and and people pointed it out, and I certainly noticed it live. I think pretty much every, you would it it would be crazy not to, but it was what the first play of the game where Proctor. Um, you know, just was he was kind of caught left standing there, not blocking anybody. Uh, now, granted, he got his initial block, but it's like, hey, you need to be running somebody into the ground until you hear a whistle. And there was no no whistle, and you're left standing there, and that's a problem. And that's just something that will come with Tom. Uh, I do think it's encouraging what Tyler Booker said about him uh, following last week's rough performance, and that was that you know he he was uh, had the right approach. Um, you know, he was looking to get better. He, you know, kind of adopted the same philosophy or mentality that Tyler Booker did the year before when he struggled. That didn't translate to a successful Saturday. That's that's for sure. But hopefully he continues to have that and the confidence doesn't get to a point where it, it becomes a major issue because he's got a chance to be a really good player. But this offensive line, I will say to wrap it up because we've spent a lot of time talking about the offensive line. Now it's time to talk quarterbacks and we might not even get to the defense with this uh video this might be a three-hour video if we talk defense too <laughs> but um you know if, if alabama was having success on early downs running the football you would not be seeing the level of of issues that you're seeing in pass protection it's their inability to do that consistently that's setting them up to be a, a have an offensive identity that they're not comfortable with or they're not set up for so the goal that alabama had going into the season Hey, we can get big, strong, and if we move people and do what we need to on early downs, the play-action pass is going to be lethal. Teams can't just, you know, pin their ears back and get after our quarterbacks, and it's just you're not seeing that, and that's some of that's quarterback play, not seeing things, not getting guys into the right, you know, plays on a on a consistent enough basis. It's the offensive line not being able to to move people enough in the run game. It's a combination of factors, but um, the bottom line is it's not happening. And that is setting this offensive lineup to play in a way that it is not equipped to play. And I think that that's the number one thing that you got to get fixed. If it's better quarterback play, if it's better play calling, if it's better, you know, guys losing weight, what guys you know, becoming more of a collective unit, whatever, you've got to be able to have more success consistently on early downs. Give yourself a chance to be successful offensively. Uh, and some of that's quarterback play. And so, Jimmy, now I'll pitch it to you. What did you think about, I mean, we're going to criticize. I'm sorry. It's just part of it. Uh, I don't think you're going to have a whole lot of nice things to say about Tyler Buckner. Um, you know, nice guy. Uh, I'm sure I haven't met him. Um, but, you know, there's just, there's, I don't think that I've ever watched. And there were some factors that, that played into it, but it was a really, really rough performance out of him. Uh, you, you've already seen Milrow for two games. You saw some Ty Simpson. What are your thoughts on the quarterback position right now? Well, starting with Butner because he started the game. Uh, no, I, I you know, it, it's, I mean, I, I was an F. I was an F. I mean, if you're handing out grades, I was, that was a fail. Uh, now, you know, it's not, quarterback gets too much blame. There was too much bad play around him. You know, the offensive line didn't help. No one helped. No one helped. Uh, maybe Jace to an extent. Uh, maybe a couple other players to an extent. So I don't think it's fair to just lay it all on Tyler Buckner. 
for whatever, let's just say this, the offense performed extremely poorly when Tyler Buckner was in the game playing quarterback. And, uh, you know, if, if, if you want to blame all of that on Tyler, I mean, anyone can have an opinion, I guess. I, I don't, I don't, but he is responsible for it. I mean, cause he's the quarterback and he's the one making it all go. And it was just really bad. Uh, we could also spend a whole podcast on, on, on blame casting. Like why did Tyler start the game? Why did somebody think it's a good idea? I also think it's fair to say Buckner has looked better than that in the past. Put it this way for people, anyone's going to overreact and all you're going to think about is what happened in the last game. That Tyler Buckner that we saw last Saturday was not the Gator Bowl MVP. I want people to take that into account. He quarterbacked a team that beat the SEC team, South Carolina, and was awarded MVP of the game. So what we saw Saturday was not the quintessential and only Tyler Buckner. But what we did see was a Tyler Buckner that should not be the starting quarterback at Alabama right now. Could that change? Maybe, maybe. And anyone that says never hasn't watched a lot of sports. Uh, but for right now, Tyler Buckner should not be the quarterback. I don't think I'm going to find anyone that disagrees with that. Um, we need to use one of the other options. And to me, Ty Simpson played okay. Uh, not great. Not okay, we found our guy but also not terrible. Kyle Simpson won the game. He was more productive than the first guy. He only completed one pass. He only he, he completed a pass that in my mom was a wow play. That's good. It was one, but it, it did prove that he has the ability to make a lot of good throws. You make one good throw, you make a lot of good throws. So I, I think Tyler flashed, Ty Simpson flashed, potential. And I think it's fair if someone wants to say, you know what, at some point, that's going to be a good player. At some point, he's going to be good. And that's the way I feel about Simpson. He may not be ready, but I think think he showed some stuff there for a first time out. Let's remember, Ty Simpson is the same age Jalen Milrow was last year. Okay, that's Milrow last year. So I, I, I think I think it's okay to be optimistic about Ty, but people shouldn't go too far in any direction. Anyone that says he's the guy, that's it. He should be the starter for the rest of the season. No, that's an overreaction. Anyone that says that's not good enough, we misevaluated, the kid's never going to be good, that's an overreaction that's not fair or correct. Uh, I think he did okay, uh, but I do think the coaching staff has a really tough decision this week in terms of is it going to be Tyra, is it going to be Jalen? It's not going to be Lonergan yet. Uh, I, I will say I think Dylan Lonergan is an option for this team, but I've said all along, and I'm not changing, I think Lonergan will be an option maybe about late October, and I'm just saying that in terms of when does a normal true freshman quarterback, when does he know enough to go out there and win a game, I would say normally never, but some kids can do it around midseason, and only the rarest of freaks can get the start in game one and be fine. Uh, midseason, I think Lonergan becomes kind of an option, maybe after that Mississippi State, Texas A&M road swing, after that, maybe. But until then, Clint, it's Ty or it's Jalen, 
And I think both kids have a chance to be good and both kids can do some good things, but neither kid has been good enough. And we need some improvement from either or both. And we need it fast because here comes the SEC. Well, and you know, with you don't want Dylan Lonergan out there right now, folks, I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, if you think that he is potentially the future, you do not want him out there right now. There's way too much dysfunction. The offensive line, the running backs and pass protection. Uh, there's just there's too much that needs to be fixed. Tommy Reese and the play calling and, and playing to your guy's strengths and being comfortable. He seems very uncomfortable right now. And I get it. It's a tough situation to be in, but that it is what it is. I mean, the tech, Houston Texans draft, you know, Derek Carr, or excuse me, David Carr back in the day gets his brains beat out for a few years and he was never, never panned out. I ended up being a backup for a while, you know, with I think the giants and a couple of other teams, I don't remember, but the point is, is that you can run a quarterback's development and potential by throwing him out before a, he's ready. And I don't think Dylan Lonergan is ready, but B, if this was a fine tuned offense that where everything else was clicking on all cylinders, maybe exactly. you throw him out there and you, you say, okay, there will be some rough moments, but there's enough going on. Guys will be able to help him out enough. Who do you look at in this album offense that you say he's going to be able to help him out consistently? No one. And I mean, the receivers are playing well. Uh, tight end play didn't get utilized enough on Saturday, but uh, that was just a lot of dysfunction at the quarterback position. So you do not want Dylan Lonergan out there. And especially when, you know, and this is something that I think, I mean, imagine being Ty Simpson and you were in this quarterback battle and, and you kind of filled a third on the depth chart. You throw Jalen out there for a couple of games first week, some issues, but, you know, overall played extremely well. People are excited. Maybe Alabama does have something here. Texas gets exposed, looks bad. A change is immediately made. And, you know, I mean, the reasoning, well, I guess we'll talk about in a second, but that happens. And, and it's like, okay, that's, that guy's not good enough. Throw the next guy out there. And then you watch, you know, uh, Tyler Buckner completely fall apart and you've seen him in practice you're like this cat is not as bad as he's showing right now and then they're like okay this guy's not our answer ty you get in there so you've now just watched two guys essentially in a lot of ways fail and you're expected to go out there and hey now you better play up to your potential uh it's like and and you get your shot on the fly like that um i mean and that's why i say you couldn't have pulled tyler or excuse me ty simpson for dylan lonergan either because it's like you've just watched three guys go through it and it's like you're not it you're not it you're not it let's see if you are uh it's just it's not the kind that you don't approach things that way quarterback is a very mental mentally based position and you want to be safe in how you uh or, or delicate in how you handle it I, I know that's a word that people don't want to hear but you know this is nfl college delicate when it comes to the quarterback positions is typically the approach uh, as far as go ahead good. Well, I mean, just 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 on your to justify your point, we'll, we'll get right back to your point. You know, baseball and football aren't the same, but there's a lot of analogies here. Paul Skeens, who's the first pick in the draft from LSU, some people call him the greatest college pitcher that they've ever seen, and he gets drafted by an organization that stinks. To be honest, Pittsburgh Pirates. I don't know anything about the Pittsburgh Pirates organization, but I do know this: I, I would bet a considerable amount of money that the pitcher in their organization with the most arm talent is Paul Skeens. Skeens has more arm talent than anybody that's on the Pirates' current starting rotation or bullpen, but he's not in the big leagues. He's pitching for the double-A team. His girlfriend, Levy Dunn, she's going to the minor league games to see Paul Skeens pitch. Why? He's learning. He's learning how to get professional hitters out. He's still learning the game 
at this level. Uh, college football doesn't have the minor leagues. All we have is scout team and practice. But if you said Lonergan is Skeens, Lonergan, you know, if Skeens needs time, so does Lonergan. There's a reason Paul Skeens isn't pitching for the Pittsburgh Pirates right now. Uh, he needs time. So, back yeah, and, and that's a great analogy because that's that's the entire point. Is sometimes guys just aren't ready, and and the raw stuff that they have, you're like, man, we could really use this right now. But it's like, what are you sacrificing? Because, I mean, are you confident you're going to get that out of him on a consistent basis and you're going to continue? I mean, you're seeing the growth. You're hearing about the growth behind the scenes. What if you throw him out there and all of a sudden that growth comes to a complete halt or maybe starts going in the opposite direction? And it's now it's like, well, I mean, and this is what NFL coaches, they kind of have a hard time with. When you draft quarterback number one overall, number two, or number three, uh, you know, sometimes it's better to – to, in fact, most times it's better to let that player sit and grow and develop. Like, I mean, Jordan Love sat behind Aaron Rodgers for forever, way too long. I mean, I'm not saying let's not do that. Uh, but at the same time, he's now gotten out there, and I think he is – I'm not saying that he's an elite quarterback or he's – I mean, but I think right now he's the best version of himself. And based off of what we had seen in previous years and very limited action, I would not. I was not confident that he was ever going to be even become this guy. But he got time to sit and learn behind one of the best and and see it and, and see it in practice and grow and and you know it it only helped him. Uh Aaron Rodgers sat behind Brett Favre for forever. You know, Philip Rivers sat behind Drew Brees. Uh Blake Bortles is a guy that the Jaguars, when they drafted him, I think number three overall, the original goal was we're gonna sit him. We're not gonna play him. And then he did some really good things in the preseason. There's pressure from the front office. Hey, this guy is exciting. He's gonna put fans in the seats. He's a UCF guy. He's kind Mahomes. of from the state. Yeah, Mahomes. Mahomes sat for a year. He absolutely did. And those guys benefited from it. And so I'm not saying that you can't go out there and be a star from day one uh, at the quarterback position. Uh, but at the same time, it's just let's it, you, you need to be careful with it. And there's a lot of factors at you know in play. And if you have a lot of dysfunction with the rest of your offense, that is not the time to throw a guy. Dylan Lonergan is not going to be the savior that you think he is if all this other stuff is going on. That is the bottom line. There's no point in putting him in uh, other than, I mean, just let's, hey, let's see what we got with the young guy, and then uh, it's it's not going to work out how you think it is. What is your thoughts on Jalen Milrow and just the reason? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, I saw saw where people have said they think he was suspended for the game. You know, we're all speculating here. Nick Saban was asked about the decision that went into – you know, him uh, not playing in the game, and Nick Saban said that's an internal thing. Uh, a lot of people say that that supports suspension. I think – I don't completely disagree with that, but I think it supports discipline, and discipline doesn't automatically equate to suspension. Demotion does not automatically equate to suspension. He could have been, hey, we're going to give Tyler Buckner a chance this week. Maybe he didn't respond well, and it's like because of your response – You've been demoted, not suspended, but you've now been demoted to the number three quarterback. And we're going to give, you know, and that's that could have happened. So my main point with all of this is just because it points to discipline uh, there, that doesn't automatically mean suspension. Right, Jimmy? Right. Yeah, I'm uh, pick my words carefully here just simply because, you know, you're going to have to. I do not believe based on what I know and, and no, I do not know exact. I don't. I mean, don't think I'm anybody thinks I'm holding back something. I, I'm not. Um, I do not believe, based on what I know, 
that he was suspended, therefore was not playing, therefore they had to start the other guys. Uh, I, I, I don't believe that based on what I know, uh, again, which is not everything. Uh, I believe that based on his performance against Texas, they wanted to look at the other guys. They wanted to look, and here's the game to do it. Uh, Clint and Travis had a great show last week. They, they brought this up. Uh, I brought it up myself in, in, in various places, including the, 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 the round table. I brought it up there. Look, if you're going to look at Tyler Buckner and Ty Simpson, South Florida was a game to do it. It's not fair to get into Ole Miss or on the road at Texas A&M and you're down 17 and you're like, okay, Tyler, Ty, here's your shot. Down 17 at College Station. You know, that's it was the time to look at the other two and Milrow opened the door. Now, how Milrow may have handled it, you know, when 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 he was told that this was going to be the situation, I, I don't I don't know any facts, so I'm not going to 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 share them because I I literally do not know the facts, and I'm not going to speculate. I'm just going to say based on what I do know, I think there was a decision made to hey, if we're ever going to look at Buckner and Simpson, this is the week to do it. And then what happened with Milrow after that, I, I do not know. Um, now how has Jalen, you know, is Jalen going to be the quarterback going forward? I think there's an excellent chance that he is. Uh, I, I, I do think Jalen Milrow is going to play Saturday against Ole Miss. That's my, my thought. I don't know who's going to start between Ty and Jalen Milrow. I think you can make a really good argument for either. I don't think starting Ty is wrong. I don't think going back to Milrow is wrong. I think this is why we pay Nick Saban so well. I think Nick Saban's got to make that decision. And personally, uh, you know, he's won enough national championships for me to trust him. Maybe not for everybody else, but for me, seven is my magic number, apparently. I totally trust the coach after he's won seven national championships to, to make the right call here. Uh, but that that's how I look at it. You know, I, I don't have great super secret inside information to share about Milrow and this, the, the rumors about a suspension. It could be, could be. But but what I do know is I, I think they're going to look at Buckner and Simpson. Uh, it was the week to do it. It makes perfect sense because otherwise, when you do take a look at them, you're losing it, 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 it against Ole Miss at home or on the road. Uh, that would have been not a fair way to really evaluate those two. And I think this past weekend was. And I think Ty did enough things where I think they're going to continue to evaluate him. Uh, Buckner, uh, just not so much. With Buckner, I, th I think he was seeing the right things. He didn't have he didn't have the ability to get guys the football when he saw it. And I think with Milrow, it's kind of the opposite, where he doesn't always see it, but when he does see it, he can get it to guys. And the problem is, is that the not seeing stuff is what is really getting him in trouble. And we have to remember, people were trying to compare Milrow to Ty Simpson based on what? I mean, everything that Milrow hit was the guy last year when Bryce went down. He was the guy who got the first crack and opportunity in the spring. He worked out with the receivers in the summer. He was the first guy out there all throughout fall camp. Uh, he was the starter for the first two games. It's like he's been given every opportunity to be what you see right now on the field. Ty Simpson has not been given every opportunity to be the guy that you right. saw on Saturday or be the guy that you expect him to be. 
And so that is something that you have to apply. Like everybody's saying, based off of what we saw on Saturday, it's pretty clear Milrow is 100% the guy. I, the, the issues that Ty had on, on Saturday against USF, in my opinion, was hanging on to the football too long. You know, he was waiting for things to come open. That's a young quarterback thing. Uh, I, that's something he was seeing the right things a lot of the times, but he didn't have the time for He needs to see it faster. So you just got to get faster at that. With Milrow, I don't think he always sees it, period. And that's where my concerns come in. There's no question that he's got the more dynamic playmaking ability, especially with his legs. There's no question. And I think if you're talking about Ole Miss, I think that Jalen Milrow probably gives you the best chance to win that football game. If you're talking about on the road against Mississippi State or on the road against Texas A&M, Jalen Milrow in those games probably gives you the best chance to win those games. And I say best chance. I'm not saying it's far and away. I'm saying he's the best option in the short term. But if you can find a way to win those football games riding with Ty Simpson, I think that once the other things start to click in the long term, you would probably be better off with Ty Simpson. That's a tough reality for some people, and I understand that we all have our quarterbacks. You know, people, fans mm-hmm. have their quarterbacks that they're pulling for, and if you say something bad about one or say something good about the other, it's taken as some slight. This is purely based off of what I believe would give Alabama the best chance to win football games, both short-term and long-term, and Alabama's got to wait. If you lose another game, doesn't matter if Ty Simpson's been out there the whole time and he gets better by the end of the year. It might, might help you for next year, but you're, I mean, pretty much out of the college football playoff picture. So Alabama might elect to say, hey, if maybe we would be much better at the end of the year if we let Ty Simpson let his internal clock speed up and try, start getting more comfortable and experienced, getting the first team reps, playing with the first team offense, you know, being quote unquote the guy. Maybe you would be a much better football team at the end of the year. But if we drop games before that, it doesn't matter. It, it serves right. no purpose. I mean, other than 2024. So they might elect to go with Jalen Milrow. And I'm not saying that Jalen Milrow can't improve himself, but up to this point, he has been given a lot of opportunities. He's had some game experience, the, the, the game jitters and all that stuff. You should be, it should be slowing down for you a little bit. And he's still just purely not seeing some stuff. And there hadn't been anything up to this point that I've seen with Ty Simpson where it's like he just didn't see that. And I'm, he will. Every quarterback does. I mean, Peyton Manning sometimes didn't see something the safety gave him or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's a consistent issue for Milrow. And that's just something that Alabama's coaching staff has to weigh. And so I, I, I 100% agree. I think it will either be Ty Simpson or it be Jalen Milrow. And I couldn't tell you one way or the other. Um, I could see there being a lot of pressure to go back to Jalen Milrow because the locker room does matter. And if you were to poll them and say, which would you rather have right now? Jimmy, my opinion, and it's it's an opinion. I, I'm speculating here, and I do that a lot. I get it. But I would I would guess the team would probably want to go with Milrow. It would be my guess, too. And I do think it matters if you have the locker room. It would be my guess that, that it would be a little pro-Jalen. Uh, and I'm sure that's taken into consideration. And, and if, if And it's this reason. It's no other reason. Jalen's been the number one quarterback since the first practice of the spring. It's what they're used to. It's what they played with the most. And he's had the most success in the games. I know it's Middle Tennessee, but Jalen was an SEC player of the week for his performance that week. So he has had some successes that the others have not. And again, he's been the number one guy since the spring. That's probably true. Um, I, I think it just comes down to and just, you know, lining up with what you said this week, you're playing Ole Miss. 
It's the first SEC game. You're still, all your goals are still in front of you. All the goals are still here in terms of getting into the playoff, winning the SEC. All the goals are alive. So you play the best, you play the guy that gives you the best chance to win the game. You know, in my opinion, and no one's going to ask me, <laughs> except the people stuck listening to, to us right now, <laughs> uh, I think it's Milrow, just like you, Clint, I believe. I mean, in terms of who gives Alabama the best chance to win this week, I think it's Milrow. If if Nick Saban goes with Ty Simpson, though, I get it, based on exactly also what Clint says. I think maybe maybe you have to suffer a little bit. Maybe there's going to be some moments that aren't good. But by the time you get to November in those games, maybe you're better served by going with Ty because of his upside and potential and ability to see things like Clint talked about. That could be the the route that they go. Uh, and again, Ty did some good things. So I'm not going to be shocked. I'm the one that said all offseason that I think ultimately Ty Simpson will be the quarterback of this football team. And uh, I wouldn't say I'm right because I, I, I don't know how it's going to play out. Uh, and, and I still don't think it's ultimately determined who's going to end up taking the most snaps for the rest of the season. But uh, I'm not going to be surprised either way. I'll just share my personal opinion is Milrow gives the team the best chance to beat Ole Miss on Saturday. You know, uh, if Alabama had squeaked out a win against Texas going into the fourth quarter with the lead, if you had a little bit more of a cushion, and I understand from an SEC championship perspective, it may, who knows, maybe if Alabama dropped a game this week, weekend against Ole Miss and then, you know, Ole Miss, um, you know, falls apart or something and Alabama still makes to the SEC championship and, and wins it and they're a two-loss SEC champion, maybe they could still go to the playoff. You know, I, I, I wouldn't completely rule it out. A lot else would have to happen. But, I mean, as it, the fact the SEC is down this year or it looks down, I don't think it's helping. Uh, most years, I would say a two-loss SEC champion's probably getting in. I'm not as confident in saying that this year with the way things are currently playing out. But what I will say is that if they had that cushion and had not dropped that game to Texas, I would probably be saying Ty Simpson needs more run. You, everybody's trying to take the limited sample size they got against a, a subpar USF team, and they're trying to make you know very uh, aggressive assumptions based off of that. Oh, it's clear that Jalen Milrow is the best option for this team. I'm not there. I'm not saying those people are wrong. Uh, I, well, I guess I am saying they're wrong about it being clear. They might not be wrong about Jalen Milrow being the best option for the team. But if if Ty Simpson had played against Arkansas last year and started against Texas A&M and started against MTSU and started against Texas, uh, and you are still seeing the internal clock issues and he's holding on to the football too long and he's and, and what the word Nick Saban calls him drive stoppers. Was not, you know, uh, and one thing to give Ty Simpson credit for as well is the drives were ending in kicks, which is what Alabama wants. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't have to be a field goal or a, uh, an extra point; it could be a punt. But you're ending in kicks. He didn't turn the football over, and that's a benefit. Mm-hmm. And I thought he, considering, um, you know, I thought he responded pretty well to a situation where you're thrown out there, you're you're taking some licks back there in the pocket, and he kept battling. And I thought that was encouraging too. But if I'd have seen all of you know if if Ty Simpson had gotten all those opportunities and his deficiencies were not improving and you didn't see what you needed to see as far as improvement on a lot of that uh, those fronts I'd be making the same arguments with Ty Simpson the problem is, is that you're trying to make sweeping assumptions based off of how he played 
in essentially a half a football, just over a half a football. So that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, Jimmy, do you have anything else before we hop out of here? I, I agree. I, I think Ty did enough good things to where we should be like optimistic that he's going to be a good player. And Jalen has done enough good things to make me believe that based on what we've seen so far, that uh, that he's the best uh, option the team has in terms of of winning the game Saturday. So, you know, I, I do think there's a good chance we'll see both. Yeah, it's it, and if if I had to pick one right now, I would probably say Jalen Milrow. If you were saying only one of them is going to play on Saturday, who's going to be? I would probably say Jalen Milrow. That's all I'll say. I didn't get to talk about the defense much, which was there was so much good with the defense. But we've been on here for an hour. Uh, we do this from time to time. We do this every time. <laughs> Who am I kidding? Uh, but you know, the offensive line, quarterback—that's everybody's main concerns right now. I mean, there's more than that, but. Defense played well. Deontay Lawson is a superstar. I mean, just incredible play. Uh, Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell. Braswell was more disruptive consistently, in my opinion, than even Dallas Turner. They were both really, really good, but just initial run through, you thought Dallas Turner had the better game. I was pleasantly surprised with how Chris Braswell played. Uh, a lot of rabbits, um, you know, which you know I thought was smart considering you thought you were going to have to leave those guys on the field, um, you know, and, and not have many opportunities to substitute. I think that's a good balance between run stopping ability and pass rush. I thought US, USF did a good job of, of kind of changing pace as far as tempo uh, to kind of keep Alabama's defense off balance. But overall, you know, Malachi Moore playing great football right now. Jaheim Otis has been good. He was out. That matters. I thought uh, James Smith and Damon Payne both, flashed a lot and i think they can help alabama's defensive line from a depth perspective moving forward uh so that was encouraging a lot of encouraging signs from the defense and and i'm sure we'll get on with travis you know one time this week a couple times and we'll try to work in some questions or figure out a way to talk a little bit about the defense because you guys deserve to hear the good not just the bad but i mean we've already gone over an hour but jimmy as always, brother, I appreciate you hopping on here with me. This has been productive, in my opinion. I wouldn't say it's been fun. It's never fun criticizing anybody. You're pulling for all these guys. But I appreciate you as always, brother. Always fun. That's why uh, the hour flies by for us. I hope it flew by for you. I thought we were about 20 minutes in, and I looked up, and it was uh, uh, like 53 minutes. I was like, well, um, okay, no defense today. Uh, but, you know, this, it was needed. So, once again, I appreciate you. I appreciate all of our listeners you haven't already go subscribe bam online we talk about all this stuff over on the talk of champions message board excuse me it's the round table now uh, round i still table. i still do yeah. this quite a bit by the way there's a lot of times i'm writing an article i'm like wait a minute uh but it is the round table now and just i love the participation that we get from people who are subscribed it, you know you've got fans but these fans they pay attention uh they, they know what they're talking about a lot of the time sometimes not everybody does but, you know, the, you've got people who want to engage, who want to learn, and there are so many people who bring up points who are like, wow, that's incredible. And so I feel like I learn a lot from the subscribers that we have. And if you're out there and you're listening, you know, we want you to subscribe to the YouTube channel. We want you to like the video, share the video, do all those things. But we want you to also go subscribe and become a part of the community over at BAM Online because we want to hear your take and get your take. Uh, so we'll talk to you guys next time. We appreciate you, and we'll see you soon. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sportsbook. 
Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. 